Hello, it's your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back for another episode of the History Comics Podcast, this time with part two of the life of Kurt Swan, the good Superman artist. When we last left off, Kurt Swan had established himself as the preeminent uh, Superman artist at DC, and he continued to do so, but of course, naturally with this one, is going to eventually see him hand off the reins to, a, to the next generation. There were some characters that drove Kurt Swan crazy when trying to draw them, as it required him to step out of his established style, such as Mr. Mystiplex, Bizarro, and Elastic Lad, as he must prefer staying with normal figures over strange ones. During his epic run, Kurt Swan would also co-create his own characters in Superman Universe. In the World's Finest number 142 on June of 1964, he co-created the composite Superman with writer Edmund Hamilton, a villain who is a merger of Superman and the other Justice League members. With writer Kerry Bates, Swan also co-created the Terror Man, the 1970s Toy Man, and Vartox. With writer Martin Pascoe, Swan created the Master Jailer in Superman number 3331 on January of 1971. Through all this, Swan was able to do this as he regularly penciled two or more bucks a month, a daunting task for most artists today. Kurt Swan would naturally age up Superman a bit after 1965 and would start using less detail. He would later be made the regular artist of the Legion of Superheroes when he started on Adventure Comics number 340 in January of 1966, where he made alterations to all the characters. However, Swan would eventually get overworked, especially with having to work with uh, reduced paper sizes. He did try a more dynamic panel layouts to fit with the modern styles and credited Carmen Infantino, now the editorial director of DC Comics, with helping him mature as an artist and designer. He next penciled Action Comics number 385-387 with writer Carrie Bates about the time travel concept that time is a circle with the end meeting the beginning and the story finds Superman aging a million years before being reborn back into the proper time in history. It was most notable for having his first pairing with Murphy Anderson as his inker, coining the fan name Swanderson, as they were a brilliant penciling inking duel. The two would permanently work together again on Superman number 233 when the pairing reached its legendary status, which also marked the halfway mark of Kurt Swan's career. Murphy Anderson provided the best compliment to Swan's pencils, whom other inkers like Dan Hunt described as very loose but always on point. Anderson added weight and substance to Swan's pencils, providing the sort of feathering that made them very dimensional. Anderson also did a better job adding blacks to Swan's pencils over uh, other inkers, especially the shadows. Despite that, Kurt Swan would state years later that his favorite inker to work with was actually Al Williamson. In his personal life, Kurt Swan enjoyed golf, bowling, and shooting pool, and despite his hobbies, was proud to state he never missed a deadline. Granted, this did this worry his editors, most notably Mort Weisinger, who always worried when he noticed the weather was nice outside, fearing that Swan was out golfing overworking. He often helped his uh, children with his studies as well, though Swan never encouraged them to try to get into comic books themselves, as he believed the profession was too hard. Even though his youngest daughter showed interest, and his other daughter, Karen, went to, the, went to an art school. However, his home studio was understood to be off-limits while he worked. Swan's work schedule was to work three days on and take four days off. However, the days he worked were often until 3 o'clock in the morning for 14 hours straight. Plus... He, he, when the deadlines closed in, Swan would often, often work five days a week to meet them. Sometimes he would work seven days straight, but very rarely. His friend, Mort Walker, thought he would burn out. Strangely, Swan thought he was a horrible inker as he felt his lines were too scratchy. Swan also preferred uh, working from his full script and tried to produce at least two pages a day. Stylistically, Swan didn't believe Superman should have a strong chin as it made him look too powerful. 
And he did try to add lines to Superman's face to age him up, but Mort Weisinger would eventually have him uh, age him back down to, 20, to the, around the age of 29. When Julie Schwartz was made editor of the Superman books, taking over for Mort Weisinger, who was finally allowed to quit under then-publisher Carmen Infantino, reportedly Weisinger would threaten to quit under the previous publisher, Irvin Donenfeld, who enticed him to stay with more money and responsibility. However, Infantino couldn't stand him, so he let Weisinger quit and went to hire him back when he tried to get back in. Julie Swartz took over as editor, uh, hiring writers Denny O'Neill and Lynn Wein to take over the writing chores. Soon, Superman was made more relatable and depowered, along with eliminating kryptonite. Most significantly, Clark Kent went from being a newspaper reporter to a TV uh, reporter working under Morgan Edge. Another classic story Kurt Swan did during this time was Superman 199 on August of 1967 with writer Jim Shooter, which featured the first race between Superman and The Flash to see who was the fastest. It has since been settled, by the way, that The Flash is the fastest man alive, as that's his one superpower, so of course he's the best at it. As DC's premier Superman artist, it was not long before Kurt Swan became something of a celebrity in the media. He would be a guest on the Today Show in 1970 and uh, 1977 and appeared on uh, QVC in 1994 to sell some of his autograph artwork. This is the Great Superman Combat Collection. He would also appear again on Today's Show in 1988 for Superman's 50th anniversary, but sadly that footage was cut. Back in the comic books on Superman number 247, Kurt Swan penciled a story of the Man of Steel dealing with social issues, something Julius Swartz was known to bring to his comics around this time, as he did mostly, notably, with the Green Arrow Green Lantern series. Kurt Swan also teamed with Carmen Infantino and Murphy Anderson on The Amazing World of Superman, Metropolis Edition, an oversized book released in 1973 with Infantino providing the layouts, Swan penciling, and Anderson inking, arguably the three greatest DC artists at the time. The book retold Superman's origin and remains one of the hallmarks of DC at the time, along with Swan's career. Around this time, Julie Swartz took over editing Wonder Woman as well and brought Kurt Swan over to Pencil Issues number 212 on July 1974 with the story The Man Who Mastered Women, which was part of a multi-part story that saw Wonder Woman restored to the full Justice League membership. However, it was during this time that many of the changes that Julie Swartz mandated to modernize Superman were reverted as the upcoming movie starring Christopher Reeve was about to come out and the Salkins, the producer of the film, wanted Superman reverted to his old status quo of being a reporter at the Daily Planet. With Superman number 338 of August of 1979, Candor was also restored and enlarged thanks to Superman, keeping his longtime promise to do so. Nevertheless, Swan's mastery of the art and anatomy continued to improve, with Superman never looking better. During this time, Kurt Swan also worked in the Teen Times No. 5 on March of 1981, filling in for then-regular artist George Perez, due to not being able to meet the deadline, with Roman Romero Taylor inking. It was a natural fit, as Perez long-sighted Swan as a major inspiration for his work. Writer Bob Wolfman would challenge Swan to become more dynamic as a storyteller in action comics during his run from 1980 to 1984, and would later state that Swan was a dynamite artist who could achieve every visual he wanted for his stories. During this time, they even made the Braining Act good in Action Comics number 528 to 530 on February of 1982. Swan would also work on the DC Comics Presents number 55 in October of 1982 on a story by Don Menchin and Gary Cohn about Superman and Clark Kent splitting up, which, also, which he also did with Kurt Saffenberger. With Action Comics number 544 in June of 1983, it would be the 45th anniversary of the series. 
He did manage to surprise Ju- editor Julie Swartz with featuring him on the cover of Superman number 411, September of 1983, as a 70th uh, birthday present. In 1983, Kurt Swan penciled and inked his favorite Superman story of, of his career, I, Flow, I Flew with Superman, in Superman Annual Number 9, in which Swan himself appears and helps Superman solve a case, a natural pick for his personal favorite. Now that Kurt Swan had been working in comics for decades, it wasn't long before the awards started to rack up in his name. In 1984, Kurt Swan was awarded the Inkpot Award, and in 1985, Kurt Swan was named one of the 50 who made DC great as part of the company's 50th anniversary. During this time, he did try to adapt his style to more dynamic storytelling to match with the modern times, but it returned to his old style within a year. Through it all, he remained committed to clear storytelling, even as his uh, time as Superman's regular artist was about to come to an end. Kurt Swan's last significant work on Superman would probably be his greatest ever, as it was the Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow story in Action Comics number 583 and Superman number 423, recounting the last days of the Golden Age Superman. Originally, Julie Swartz offered a writing job to Superman's co-creator, Jerry Siegel, but due to legal issues he still had uh, with DC Comics, reportedly he refused to do it because it was work for hire, something he vowed to never do again. Swartz then offered the job to writer Alan Moore, who, according to legend, threatened to strangle Julie Swartz if he didn't get the job. Written by Moore, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow was seen as a farewell to the Golden Age Superman before the Crisis of Infinite Earths event, updating him and the rest of the DC Universe for modern times. Swan would complain about Moore's highly detailed scripts, something the writer is known for, but rose to the challenge, helping craft one of the greatest Superman stories ever produced. Moore especially loved having Kurt Swan and Kurt Schaffenberger on his Superman story, and years later he wanted Swan, Kurt Swan to work on his Supreme book at Image Comics, an homage to the classic Superman, but he sadly passed away before he had a chance to do so. Afterwards, Kurt Swan was no longer the primary Superman artist, having been replaced by John Byrne, who was hired by DC to update Superman, first with the Man of Steel limited series before taking over the regular books. As a publicity stunt, Julie Swartz even arranged a quick photo op where Swan handed off his pen to Byrne. Byrne personally calls Swan one of the greatest draftsmen in comics, signifying the passing of the baton to the next Superman artist. Byrne found it very challenging following Swan as he considered his Superman a definitive version, like so many others do to this day. While many would criticize DC's handling of removing Kurt Swan and fellow artist Kurt Schaffenberger from the Superman books after working on them for decades, in hindsight, Swan later stated that he was glad to finally hand off the reins of Superman to a new artist, as after that, all that time, he had nothing left to say about the character. Despite being a mainstay in comic books for decades, Kurt Swan was a dedicated DC Comics man and only did one pennant for Marvel about the Guardian in Marvel Universe number 5 with most of his work exclusively at DC, despite then-editor-in-chief Jim Shooter, formerly a writer he worked for with DC, making several offers. However, Swan was coming to the end of his career, and all his retirement and benefits wrapped up at DC, he chose to stay loyal to him. Outside of DC, Swan did numerous art pieces for charity, would even give away sketches. Swan also did paintings and landscapes in his free time, and once tried oils and watercolors, but didn't sell well, as he ultimately wanted to just be an illustrator. While no longer Superman's primary artist, Kurt Swan would continue to work on smaller assignments. In December of 1986, Swan worked on the Who's Who's, the definitive directory of the DC Universe number 22, with Jerry Ordway eking his Golden Age work, while John Byrne did his Silver Age pencils. Swan also worked on the licensed comic Mask in 1987, while also inking Aquaman in 1989, originally a 40-page special called The Legend of Aquaman, followed by a five-part miniseries meant to relaunch the character. 
For the architecture of Atlantis, Swan added seashell and other ocean motifs, giving him a chance to expand his palette. In 1988, Kurt Swan penciled one of the rarest Superman books in existence, as it was a private commission for a real estate tycoon, Godfrey Bradman, as a bar mitzvah gift for his son called The Island Bradman. It was written by uh, David P. Levin, who was known as more of a producer for the MTV network. That same year, Swan also contributed art to Superman The Earth Stealers, a prestige format graphic novel one-shot. Swan also worked on Teen Times number 81 in December of 1991, and was still occasionally filling in Superman since the Action Comics Annual number 2, working alongside Mike Magnolia and Jerry Alderway in 1989, and eventually to Superman Annual number 2 in um, 1990 with Dan Jurgens and John Byrne inking as part of the Superman Exile storyline. However, his last regular series would be the Superboy the comic book, which was based on the TV show at the time. Kurt Swan also was, did a return to the newspaper-style format with Action Comics Wheatley, a two-page backup feature with Roger Stern and Mike Carlin that was inspired by the Sunday Strip. Kurt Swan was offered a position at Jim Shooter's Broadway comics with the series Star Steed, as the two had previously worked together on Superboy. However, because Broadway comics used a lot of real-world references, Swan turned it down, stating he preferred to draw made-up things like Star Labs. It didn't help, he was much older at the time, and Shooter believed if he was younger, Swan would have jumped at the chance. That's not to say that Swan didn't work for other third-party publishers, as in 1993, for Malibu Comics, he provided a cover and short story for the series Dinosaurs for Hire. In 1994, Kurt Swan was part of the Disney's Adventures Magazine contest, which readers submitted their ideas for a superhero, with the first prize having him, Dave Hunt, and Marv Wolfman bringing the character to life. In 1995, Kurt Swan did something of a send-up to his work on Superman in the Penthouse Comics, providing art for Larry Nevin's issue, Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex, which provided a logical yet humorous details of the problems Superman would have if he wanted to have sex or reproduce, with many of the sources being from the very Superman comics Kurt Swan originally illustrated. In the fall of 1996, Kurt Swan did the Batman Chronicle No. 6, and that December contributed to the Superman The Wedding Album, even appearing in the wedding of uh, Clark Kent and Lois Lane as a guest, alongside other real-life persons like Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, Superman's creators. This would be an appropriate swan song for the character for the good Superman artist. On June 17, 1996, Kurt Swan passed away at Wilton, Connecticut. Following his death... The usual string of honors for an artist of his stature began. In 1997, Kurt Swan was inducted into the Will Eisner Hall of Fame. In the comics, he was honored by an appearance in the Legion of Superheroes number 92 in May of 1992 with The Sun's Way, where he was cast as an art teacher and named an honorary legionnaire. Another unexpected honor for Kurt Swan was when Jerry Seinfeld, a longtime Superman fan, did a pair of American Express commercials with an animated version of the character, voiced by actor Patrick Warburton, who played David Putty on his Seinfeld TV show. Released in 2004, they were directed by Academy Award-winning director Barry Levinson, and when being developed, Seinfeld insisted that the Superman featured be based on Kurt Swan's drawings, as this was his preferred version of the character. Kurt Swan greatly influenced numerous artists, such as George Perez and Paul Ryan, and everyone else greatly admired him, with everyone saying only good things about him, even his boss. Jerry Ordway would say he knew Kurt Swan's pencil by the smell of his paper, while Brian Boland admitted he swiped Kurt Swan's faces for his own work. Alan Moore considered him Jack Kirby's equal. With all this praise, it is no wonder that Kurt Swan will be called the good Superman artist in the Norman Rockwell comics due to his realistic style. 
Most recently, on April 18th of 2018, Action Comics reached its 1,000th issue, and some of the Kurt Swan's unused comic book art was included into this milestone comic. And that is a rambling and too brief biography of the great Kurt Swan, an artist who didn't invent Superman, but more or less defined the character for the modern day. However, he was more than just a good Superman artist, but worked at DC on uh, Batman, the Justice League, and the Legion of Superheroes, among others. Kurt Swan was a true professional who brought that work ethic to his comics work, and the medium is all the better for it. I would like to thank the Chief Sorceress episode, Kurt Swan, A Life in Comics by Eddie Zeno, a great biography of the comics legend along with a collection of his art and interviews with his family, friends, and colleagues. A must-own for any comic book fan. talk yeah thunder talk we're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk woke nerd junk it's topical political dare i say radical we've got all your latest news and reviews hot music and a whole lot of comedy but it ain't for kids definitely mature content so let's talk let's talk thunder talk thunder talk is a proud member of the eso network now it is May 26, 2022, time for the favorite comic of the week, Batman Beyond the White Knight, number three, by Sean Murphy, which continues his alternate take of the Batman uh, franchise that finds uh, the Bruce, the age of Bruce Wayne having escaped uh, prison, uh, donning uh, a new Bat costume to take on the, the new uh, Terry McGinnis, who has stolen his Batman Beyond costume, and ultimately take down Derek Powers, who has taken over his company, and is now running um, Gotham City. This one, John Murphy once again does a great alternate take of the the Batman universe, picking and choosing from the overall Batman uh, stories. This one with Batman Beyond being perfectly integrated into the overall mythos in a great way. He also throws in other great characters. Duke makes an appearance, and it's great to see what Barry Gordon's doing. And also the revelation that uh, Bruce Wayne and Harley Quinn are married, at least in the legal sense, does draw a fun scene. It does. What Sean Murphy's doing with this whole White Knight uh, take on the Batman is he's, he's offering something old and something new at the same time. And simply put, you find yourself rooting for Bruce Wayne and Harley Quinn to get together in the craziest way, especially since he now has Jack Napier in his head. Yeah, you still have to read the comments to see that, but that's great. And their dynamic is hilarious. And uh, all in all, yeah, plus Murphy's art is absolutely gorgeous, especially in the picture the Batman universe. Uh, the, the Batman Beyond looks never looked has never looked better, in my opinion. Overall, this is one of the best alternative takes of Batman in years. Uh, DC, that's one thing they're really good at, is doing these great Elseworld now black label stories that artists really explore their uh, characters, and this is no exception. So yeah, favorite comic of the week is uh, Batman Beyond the White Knight, uh, number three. And with that, we'll conclude uh, this biography of the great Kurt Swan. Join me again next week for another episode of the Comics Podcast. And until then, go out and enjoy yourself a good comic book.